on. Oh, I studied the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Oh, well, no. <laughs> John chapter 4. <laughs> yeah. John chapter 4. What a neat chapter. You know, uh, I volunteered for this chapter because it has one of my favorite verses in here regarding worship. And yet there's so much in here that doesn't even talk about that. And so it was just so um, edifying for me. We see Jesus in his deity. John, throughout this whole book, is trying to describe to the readers who Jesus is throughout this whole book. And, and like, we, we can't even understand who he is. They didn't even understand. He's saying, I was with him and I didn't understand who he was till afterwards. And so he's writing to us. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you, Lord, for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us. And, Lord, just give us insight to who you are, who you were when you walked this earth, the things you did and how you spoke, how you spent time with man. And, Lord, we thank you, God, for your grace in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So in uh, chapter 1, the first five verses, John lays out for us who, um, um, who this picture of Jesus is, right? In John 1, 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, Nothing was made that was made. Right? <clears throat> In him, he says, was life. And the life was the light of man. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. So he starts off right away. Here's the focus of the book. This is God, the creator. This was the founder of the world, right? He created the foundations of the world. This is God. And he says, we didn't, we didn't get it. We just didn't get it. And so we see a lot of contrast in this book. He says, okay, here's God, this creator of the universe, and then, oh, here's us. This little ant of mankind. What a contrast. And John uses it throughout this book to show us who Jesus is. By verse 6 on chapter 1, he's saying, Then there was John the Baptist, a man. Right? Here's God, here's Almighty, and then there's this man. Right? Then, so the contrast continues. In verse 27 of chapter 1, he says, It is... He who coming after me is preferred before me, more contrast, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. 
He goes, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about cleaning his feet. I can't even loose his sandal strap. I'm lower than a servant. And wait a minute, this was John the Baptist, a prophet, holy man of God. Even the Pharisees uh, respected him. Contrast again. No, no, no. This is who Jesus was. This is who I am way down here. In chapter 2, we see a contrast. Water to wine. Amazing contrast right there. Jesus' first miracle. And then in that same chapter, he turns over tables and drives out money changers. You guys went through this, right? And, uh, and they're asking him, well, what are you trying to show us by doing all this stuff and do, doing this? And he says, destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. More contrast again. Destroy and raising it up. And they said, oh, well, this, this, this temple took 46 years to build. How, how are you going to raise it up in three days? And, and, and in 20, 21 of chapter 1, he says, but he was speaking of the temple of his body. Again, the darkness did not understand it. And it's hard to understand even today. Such a contrast that God would send his son Jesus. That God himself would be a man and walk the earth, the ground, the dirt that he made. It's just, it's just so hard to understand. So you ever hear someone talking and not know what they're talking about? Right? I mean, you know they're talking English. And you know English. But you don't know what they're talking about. And... Um, now, Jesus was talking, and they didn't know what he was talking about, and he knew it. But if someone did that to you for the sole purpose of making you ask the questions, which was genius, by the way, and Jesus was doing that. And wouldn't that deepen our own understanding? And Jesus was doing that. He's asking them questions or saying things so that they can ask questions so that it would just help them to understand. It was just hard, you know, and he knew that they weren't getting it. Um, there's a friend of ours, um, I, my, uh, my best friend, Mickey, we, we used to work in the same industry together. And we worked the post-production industry. And there's a lot of uh, technical things and film and uh, video stuff. And so we'd get together in these, uh, you know, big uh, circles of friends and then he and I and, and, and others, we, we'd start talking shop, you know, just about work. And another friend of mine would just walk away. He's like, oh, they're talking shop again. Forget, I don't even know what they're, I don't even know what they're saying. It, it would go something like this. He, I'd say, hey, Mick, so I had to transfer 1080 from 35 on the Spirit Data City through the Resolve to Clipster for storage. Exactly. Now, some of you might understand what I'm talking about, but everybody else was like, whoa, I know you, I heard you speak in English, but I really didn't understand what you were saying. And that's, that's kind of the same thing. That's much in the same way was going on with Jesus and his disciples, the ones he was close to. He knew they didn't get it. Jesus was saying things and doing things, and he was... He was sitting with them. He was talking with them. He was eating with them. He was crying with them. They didn't know who he was. 
Remember in um, chapter 11, well, we haven't got there yet, but in chapter 11, Lazarus, he dies. And it says earlier on that Jesus loved Lazarus and his sister Mary and sister Martha. There was something about that family. Just Jesus just loved those, those people. But, you know, he got sick. And so they came to him and they said, you know, he's going to die. He's really sick. And Jesus took his time to get there so that Lazarus would be dead when they showed up. That's crazy. I don't understand that. We don't understand. That's hard to understand because Jesus loved him. Crazy. In, uh, in chapter 11, verse 4, he says, When Jesus heard that, he said, His sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. So God let him die. Would God do that? God would let someone die? Yes. He says these things. After that, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps. But I, uh, he says, But I go that I may wake him up. Right? He says, all right. He's, he's asleep, but I'm going to go wake him up. And his disciples, guess what they said? Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. Let him sleep, Jesus. Come on, he's going to be all right. If you say he's going to be all right, we believe you. If he's going to be asleep, oh, that's, that's the best thing for him. Um, so they didn't get it. They didn't understand what he's saying. So Jesus, he turns to them. And, and later on in verse 14, he, he, just, he just breaks off with the, the niceness. and just turns to them and says, okay, let me put it plainly. Lazarus is dead. And they went, I mean, the, and there's no, nothing to say. There's nothing that they said anything except that he said, we got to go. Anyway, we got to go. So... The only thing they said after that was Thomas, who says, okay, well, Jesus is going back to Bethany. They wanted to kill him over there, so let's just go with them so we could die together. <laughs> they, clearly, John is writing this and saying, look at, we were there with him. He was doing these awesome, wonderful things. And even in his presence, we didn't understand who he was. We, we didn't get it. I mean, how much more us? We're thousands of years away now. We have the word right here. We have the, the evidence of it. We have the writings. We have his word. And we're not there to see an eyewitness. How much more difficult is that going to be, that going to be for us to understand something like this? And in chapter 3, the same thing happens, right? To Nicodemus. He says the word born again. And Nicodemus, being a, a very intelligent Pharisee, he's like, what? I, even that word itself is a contrast. You're only born once. What are you talking about born again? That's, that word itself is a contrast, that whole phrase. He didn't understand it. He didn't understand the difference between what is flesh, born of flesh is flesh, and what born of the Spirit is spirit, how they're opposites and how they contrast. And uh, Jesus is trying to point that out to him, a learned man. So anyway, here in chapter 4, Jesus meets a woman at the well. So now we see Jesus coming 
to con- to convert someone. He's, he's going to use now this contrast that we're seeing, and John is documenting this for us, is this conversion of this woman at the well of Samaria. And that's important because here in the first three chapters, Jesus is with the Jews. He's with his Jewish brother, brother, brethren. Excuse me. And he turns now to the Gentiles. He's turning to us. These are the people who are going to get saved. These are the people who need salvation, the gift of God. John 4, 1 um, says, Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself did not baptize, but Jesus, I mean, but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. See, Jesus had a divine plan, a divine schedule. He needed to go through Samaria. And you'll see later on in this discourse how um, the Samaritans had no communication with the Jews. And the Jews did not want to speak to the, to the Samaritans. And another thing that I want to point out here is that Jesus himself did not baptize. And John wanted to make sure that was clear. And then it says, but his disciples. Now, there's two ways you could take that. You could say that only Jesus only baptized his disciples. Or is it saying that his disciples did all the baptizing, Jesus didn't do any. But we, knew, we know for a fact that Jesus did not baptize. And, and he makes that clear. But we, we could choose whichever one uh, that means there. And verse 5, he says, Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields, for they are already white for harvest. You know, the disciples probably pointed out to him, hey, why do you want to go through Samaria? We, we got to go around. That's not the way to go. We're Jewish. He's like, wait a minute. The time is now. The harvest is now. Jesus is saying, you don't get who I am. I'm here now. I got to do this now. I can't be taking roundabout routes and stuff for, for all this. And there were three routes that Jesus could have taken. He could have went around through the coast or he went the other side through uh, Perea. But he, he needed to go through Samaria. There was someone there he needed to meet. Jesus had the will of the Father to do. And his disciples, they, they didn't understand it. Uh, verse 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me? A Samaritan woman. 
for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who, is, who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, you, who gave us this, the well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Verse 15, And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Obviously, she didn't know who she was talking to. She thought it was this crazy Jewish man coming through. And she had no problem talking to him, even though she knew uh, they, they don't really talk to each other. And she's kind of playing this, this game with Jesus. I kind of like the, what, uh, what uh, Pastor Chuck said. I thought it was really interesting. Um, he said, this woman is being rather saucy with Jesus. He says, sort of pert and cute. <laughs> she's not a very upright woman, he said. In fact, she's, not, she's sort of a low moral character. She's probably well known in Sychar because of her not so illustrious past. And Chuck Smith goes on to say, she's got a bad reputation. She's probably known as a flirt and available. <laughs> but, you know, she's a smart cookie, though. She's got, she's got this thing that's sometimes called moxie, the street smarts. And she's kind of playing this game with Jesus. She thinks he's just another guy to play with. She doesn't understand who she's talking to. And once again, it's the very beginning of the book of John. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness did not comprehend it. Many times. How many times do we play games with God? Just toying around with the idea of sin. Not letting go of the things that we need to let go because we like our little games. God is trying to shine in our very lives. And we don't comprehend it. Freedom. You have freedom. Galatians 5.1 tells us, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. When I think of that word entangled, you ever play that game where you have like threads and you put it through your fingers and you tell your friend to put your hand through it and, and you do this little trick and you get away from it or you do the wrong, the wrong function with your fingers and then you get tangled up in it. And, and it's just a little game, getting tangled up in things. 
And with our lives, we could get tangled up in things. And we play these little games where we don't really understand what we have. And, and Christ is in our hearts. Christ is in our lives. And we play these little, little tiny games where we think we could hang on to things. Galatians 5.13 says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. See, our flesh wants to play these games. When I hang on to these little things that we have, and we shouldn't toy around with it, the darkness doesn't understand. So now Jesus drops the hammer at this point. He begins to reveal who he is. He's had enough of this little game. He says in uh, verse 16, he says, okay, well, go call your husband and come here. So right away he gets right to a very personal point in this woman's life. All right, go call your husband. He knew something. How did he know that? He's God. <laughs> no one understood it. He goes right to her heart. Because he's trying to point he's going to point out later on as you see the heart is where it matters here. And he's going to go right to it. He's, he's done playing this little game. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. She still wants to play. Yeah. And Jesus said to her, You have well said, you have, uh, you have well said, quote, I have no husband. And then verse 18. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. Boom. Just dropped the hammer on her. He goes, oh, that's true what you said. You don't have a husband. Because you've had five husbands and you moved in with this guy and he's not even your husband. Whoa. Very personal stuff. God goes right to the heart. The woman realized right then and there that she's not fooling this man. In fact, this man, he sees right through her. This man knows things about her that maybe her own mother doesn't even know. You know, some personal stuff. She's never seen this guy before, this complete stranger. This stranger has just said something to, to her that has completely blown her cover, something only God would know. Only God knew. And she knew it. So she was probably hiding a lot of things. Is there something in your life you know that no one else could possibly know? Well, let me tell you, God knows. If you think he doesn't, you're fooling yourself. So who's this man, Jesus? How do you know she was going to be at that well right at that moment? How did he know about five husbands throughout her life. And notice that she didn't try to deny it. 
She didn't try to make excuses and say, uh, 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 that was just a, a fling. Or She didn't try to deny it at all. She knew what he was saying was truth and that no one else knew. So this was heavy stuff. And we think about our lives and think about the things that are hiding. Maybe small little closets in our lives. God knows. And he wants us to go to him. and Confess our sin. Repent. And live a new life. Then you don't have to hide anymore. Then you don't have to play these games anymore. Verse 20, our fathers, she says, oh no, verse 19, she says, the woman said to him, sir, so she changed her tune now all of a sudden, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, so this is a God thing. She's saying right away, she drops the game and she knows, whoa, this is a spiritual moment happening right here. This is a God thing. You are a prophet. Now, she still doesn't understand who's standing in front of her, talking to her. All, all that she could comprehend is this guy is a, probably a holy guy. So, prophet is probably as high as she goes to think. She did not even think about who this, who this was. Oh, you're a prophet. So, right away, she does one of two things. Let's read verse 20. Our father worshipped on this mountain. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. So there's two things she's doing here. And I'm not sure which one she's doing. I'll let you guys pick. Uh, One, she can be trying to change the subject, right? Like start backtracking. Okay, I'm not going to talk to this guy. Let's get away from this uh, conversation. Um. She wants to talk about differences in religious locations and rituals that a a regular holy man or a prophet would just love to pontificate about and uh, and get off the subject of her life and talk about religion. You know, all right, let's get this guy to talk about religion. If you're a holy guy, I'm sure uh, we can argue that for a while, and you'll forget about uh, my little uh, that that little thing you said, and just forget about it. So she's either trying to change the subject. Or two, she can be opening up her need because of the confusion in her life. And she can be sincerely asking a question that is going to free her from the bondage of sin, the chains of sin. She's saying, okay, you Jews are saying God's over there. My religion in Samaria is saying that God is here and we worship here. Where's God? Tell me. Tell me where to find God. Because my life's a mess. And I need some help. She could be doing that. Maybe not trying to run away and change a subject. But maybe open her heart. And say, here is a spiritual moment. In verse 21. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. 
You worship what you don't know. We know what we worship. For salvation is of the Jews. Now, when I first read this, I remember years ago, I'm thinking, well, that's... uh, How could he be speaking to her like that? It seems kind of arrogant to me. And I was a little confused by that. And then... But now looking at the character and characteristics of God, he's not, he's not being that way. You know, here's, here's Jesus walking into Samaria. He's walking by the well of Jacob. He's, he's been there before, hasn't he? Remember in Genesis? Sikar is also called Shechem. Shechem was that place where Jacob, his sons, went in and killed all those people in that town for for taking their sister. And he's been there before. This is historically this land. God has been up and down here, this whole place. Not too far away, many historical things are happening. And he's saying, and this woman is saying, oh no, right here is where we say we're supposed to worship. And you guys are saying over here. And he's, he's saying, look at it. It doesn't matter. Right? She's looking for God. And he's saying, this gift of salvation is not just for the Jews, and it's not just for the Samaritans. The woman points out something that is quite trivial to the Lord. Location. Or more to the point, religion. It doesn't matter if you worship here or there, in a box with a fox, in a house with a mouse. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know, if you have a certain hat on, or you have certain pants on... You know, if you play only certain kind of music, it's trivial. He goes right to the heart. He gets right into what really matters. And so now we enter into this dialogue that he has about worship. One of my favorite verses, 23 and 24. Jesus says, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers The true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. See, it doesn't matter about location. Does it matter about being Jewish? (laughs) Being Samaritan? No. Your cultural background? Your neighborhood? No. Rock music or country hymnals? Does it matter? No. He says, the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And God is looking. God is, the Father is seeking. He, he's active. When you're worshiping, you're sitting here in the sanctuary, you're sitting here in the fellowship hall, you're sitting at home praying, whether you're singing or you're reading, you're, you're, you're worshiping God. Even in your giving, when you give offering and stuff, you're worshiping God. When you're serving in ministry, you're worshiping God. And God is actively seeking you out. 
he's going, he's checking out. Let's see. Let's check Adam's heart over there. Oh, yeah, he's, he's worshiping. He's, he's, he's seeking. He's in spirit and in truth. He's, he's really worshiping. And what, what I like to point out here is that in this book and of contrast, the opposite of spirit and truth. What is the opposite of spirit and truth? Flesh, lies. And in worship, especially in today's music and worship, we could be caught up in our flesh. We could be caught up in lies. And we have to be careful that we are seeking the Lord, truly being sincere, not just being up there for our own purposes. Not being worshiping right right here with everyone to make sure you hear a certain harmony that I'm singing or right next to, I like to sing next to Don because he sounds awesome. And, you know, just no, no, for pur- purposes like that. No, no, no. But for, for the purposes of sincerity and worship to the Lord, do you really mean it? And I've said that several times to the worship teams. Hey, guys, sing it like you mean it, you know. And, and there's nervousness, I understand. But you know what? Sing it like you mean it because... Some of these words of worship, they're, they're, they're a, a sacrifice of worship, sacrifice of praise. You know, a cry out to the heart. All right. I'll get off the worship thing. But notice how smart this woman is. Because she knows about the Messiah. She's not Jewish, but she knows about the Messiah. 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. Whoa, she does know a lot. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Whoa. Hey, basically, uh, you're talking to him, sister. Whoa! And the comprehension of that, I'm probably sure, did not sink into this woman's head. I mean, it wouldn't even sink into my head. Okay, well, that's me. I am the creator of the universe. Right here, we're talking. Whoa! But see, God knew this woman was going to be there at the well. He knew this woman knew some things about Jesus, about the Messiah, and knew this woman needed salvation. He knew she was hurting. Verse 27, and at this point, John narrative coming in, at this point his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or, why are you talking with her? Verse 28, the woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come, see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came to him. All right, so now there's a mob of people coming. This is something amazing. 
And the fact that this woman would say this and they would uh, believe her, they, they knew she was a smart woman. They didn't think she was just lying about what she was saying. It was obvious on her face. And they came. And it's so amazing that here Jesus is saying and telling us uh, something about food here. <laughs> um, verse 31. In the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. You can, say, you can hear that Jewish accent. Rabbi, eat. Verse 32, he says, But he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Therefore the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him anything to eat? They, they don't understand. And even I don't understand. It, it's interesting here because verse 34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You know, no time for minor things of life. Like eating. <laughs> what? Now, I like to eat, as you could tell. And that's not a minor thing for me. But here, Jesus is saying, oh, this is, you know, when there's ministry to do, I don't need to eat. And he's, he's saying, you know, don't, don't major in the minor things. And so many ministries, that's what we end up doing. We major in all these little minor things. And it's interesting to me that Jesus is alluding to the fact that he's saying, I'm trusting God to keep my body going. I don't need to eat right now. I don't want to stop and cook a steak or something and take all the time. These people need me and I'm going. And God will take care of me. Can God do that? Yeah. He was God. Wait a minute. I'm not comprehending this. It's crazy. He was God. He was going to sustain. And the Father was going to sustain the Son because He had work to do. And it's just amazing. Verse 35. Do you not say, there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white with harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. And the Old Testament is recorded all of this for us, all the groundwork for Jesus coming. And that's what he's talking about. He says, verse 38, I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. You're right there side by side with Isaiah, and Jeremiah, and Jacob, and Abraham, and Moses, Gideon, and all these David, all, all these people, you're there with them doing the work that they were doing. They sowed your reaping because now is the harvest. Now is the time. They did all this work. And now you join in and continue to work. And he's talking to us too. The Old Testament, the prophets, they did all of this work. 
And now the harvest. Now it's time to win the souls over, to send them to Jesus, to pluck them out of the fire. And it's a harvest. You're, you're going in and you're pulling, the, you're pulling, it's like pulling weeds. You're grabbing them, you're taking them out of the ground. The work continues. And now all of you are a part of it. Amazing. I don't think they understood what you were saying. <laughs> Hard to understand. Verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified when she said, he told me all that I ever did. They were blown away by that. He told you everything that you ever did. I know you did some things, but I, I can't imagine what he said to you. But they believed just because of that. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. They wanted him to stay. Oh, Jesus, stay with us. And, and he did stay. He stayed there two days. Verse 41. And many more believed because of his own word. Not, not strictly because of what had happened with the woman. But now he's there for two days and they're listening directly to Jesus. And they're turning their lives around. Because they're hearing his voice. They're hearing his wisdom. They believed in his own word, it says in verse 41. Then they said to the woman, they, the men of the city, they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. He's the Savior of the world. They believed. And this is the divine schedule Jesus had. He said, you know what? I need to go through Samaria. Look what happened. They didn't understand before why they needed to go through there. But God knew. And He had that divine schedule. He needed to go through there. We see... Some contrast here at the end of this passage. Salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but now for all of us. Now we have an opportunity to get saved, to stop playing games, to live our lives for Him, to believe who Jesus really was. Who was He? He was God. He was the founder of the world. He created the world. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. Just right there. Without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of man. That life is the light inside of us. 
right? And the light shines in the darkness. We need our light to shine in the darkness. The light shines in the darkness. But the darkness is not going to comprehend it. So, just really powerful study here in in seeing the contrast between who God is and keeping the priority of who who we are in comparison and in contrast. Who we think God is in our own lives. Who we think we're fooling when we're playing these games with God and not really realizing who He is, what He knows, what He sees every day when we get up in the morning and we go to bed at night, what God is seeing. It's hard to understand. I've heard some people say, Oh, that creeps me out, man. And God's looking at me all the time. He, yes. Fine, good. Let it creep you out. God saw what you did. But we can go to Him and confess our sin and repent. He promises that newness of life. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? And that we could worship the Lord knowing that He's listening because He's seeking those to worship in sincerity of heart. This is God. So awesome. Well, that's all I have for this chapter. Next week, you continue with, cha- with verse 43. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness, Lord, your grace upon us, your mercy. Lord, we don't deserve to even be in this upper room here. And Lord, you have allowed us to be here tonight to worship together, Lord, and lift up our hearts to you, to turn to your word and to learn about who you are, the magnificence of who you are, just the awesome power of who you are, that you would know every little thing about us, that you have seen everything that we've done. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would give us the strength to Stop playing these games with you. To let go of the things that we need to let go in our lives, Lord. And and acknowledge you. To trust in you. Sometimes we worry so much about what we're going to do tomorrow. Or where we're going to work. Or how we're going to eat. or Lord, you're taking care of us. We could trust in you. I pray, Father, that we give our lives to you fully. And to seek after you with open heart, Lord. To know that you're searching our hearts. That you know if we really mean it or not. And so, Lord, we thank you. I thank you for this church. Just the faithfulness, Lord, to us all. How good you are, Lord. Bless us now, Lord, as we fellowship. And, Lord, as we go home. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, guys.